Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Take Flight Podcast, episode number 141, with your four hosts, Daniel Johnson, Oluwakunola, Pabilo Timbo, and I, Shrel Ahmed. Now, from the title, we are back with another very exciting Take Flight Talks interview episode, where we have conversations with thought leaders and trailblazers, sharing with us their journey and expertise on how they've been able to take flight in their respective arena. Now, in case you've missed any of our previous Take Flight Talks interview episodes, please make sure to check them out. We've interviewed with leaders from various industries, from healthcare to nonprofits, from entrepreneurs to pioneers in the music industry, leaders in angel investing, and founders of venture capital firms. The list is growing, so please make sure to check them out if you haven't already done so. Now, back to today's episode. And This episode, we have a man who, if you're in the UK real estate and entrepreneurial space, you would have either seen or heard of him already. Now, we have with us today a gentleman called Kazim Ali Balogan, and who is better known as Kazi, the legend behind the brand Property by Kazi. Now, for those of you who don't know him, where have you been? He's difficult to miss. But for those that have missed him, let us quickly fill you in. So Kazi is a property developer and investor based in London and has been in the space for the last 10 years. Kazi has been investing and actively managing property renovations in and around London, has successfully completed projects that have achieved considerable ROIs and has sourced capital from private investors and grown exponentially since then. Now, as well as this, he is also the founder of Loco Management, a project management company specializing in high-spec property renovations. Now, if that does not set the scene, some numbers to demonstrate Kazi's pedigree and track record. Kazi has more than 35 projects completed, over £20 million worth of gross development value of real estate developed, is a co-founder of a seven-figure turnover rent-to-rent company, and has also raised more than a million pounds private equity funds raised and returns. Now, on top of all of this, Kazi has grown a strong following across social media, documenting his process, but most importantly, demonstrating to people of underrepresented backgrounds what can be achieved with a strong drive to succeed. You can find Kazi on Instagram, YouTube, his own podcast too, as well as many other interviews and features with an audience of over 60,000 people across all the channels and growing. He is also some of the best Instagram reels in the UK property game. So make sure to check them out. Now today we'll be diving into Kazi's journey from his younger years to becoming a developer and investor today, as well as learning about everything from his why, his predictions for the hot real estate market now, and tips and recommendations for all you flyers out there looking to take flight. Now let's get started with what will go down as a legendary episode and hit the music. Right, Kazi, uh, welcome to uh, the Take Flight podcast. Thank you for for joining us today. Now, the the listeners would have heard an introduction about your your background and a very very short summary of your your journey. But how would you explain your your background in in your own words? Um, firstly, thanks thanks for the intro. It was very very succinct. I feel like you've done a lot of my job for me in, 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 <laughs> in introducing myself and kind of what I've achieved to date. But um, very simply put, I'm a property investor um, and also a property developer. I think it's always quite important to to note the difference between the two because one's obviously just buying real estate um, and holding on to it on, on the basis that it's going to accumulate in value and also generate cash flow. The second is actually being able to take assets um, and add value to them. So there's a lot. It's a lot more hands-on, a lot more involved. At the moment, um, <clears throat> I would still class myself in the sort of wealth creation stage of my journey. So I'm focusing primarily on development, effectively building that working capital pot so it can go and do bigger and better projects or the same size projects, but you know, with increased volume um, over, you know, over the coming years. Um, in terms of my background and where I started, I think, you know, like like a lot of us now. I had that sort of entrepreneurial spirit from a from a very young age. I always, you know, you know, there was never there was never like a case of oh, this is enough, this is enough. I always wanted to go out and get more. So even when I had my first paper round, um, first paper round was like, okay, this is cool, but how could it be better? So mm-hmm. rather than just settle with a paper round money, I went round to I actually went to Sainsbury's at the time. It was called Saver Center. You could print a business card. This is at like 13, 14. 
and had like leaflet delivery expert on the on the business card and went out giving it to pizza shops and corner shops and basically getting them to pay me to put their leaflets inside which was just a way of you know maximizing the amount of money you can make from your time um, so I think that was an example of sort of just the ideas around being an entrepreneur from an early age but I've always worked I think the other thing I always like to touch on when I talk about my journey is the importance of work so the importance of routine, getting up early, being committed, having things that you have to do for other people. Because if you can't do it when you have to do it, you're never going to be able to do it when it's optional, when you're doing it for yourself, when you could just start, say, tomorrow, tomorrow, and, you know, tomorrow never comes. So I did my I did my shifts. I was, from the age of 15, I was in Primark. Um, I'm still rubbish at folding clothes, but I tried. Um, then went to Phones For You, and Phones For You was where I'd really say like the amount of people that came out of phones for you with a great skill set just because you learn about building relationships, building rapports, cross-selling, upselling, you know, dealing with a specific product, selling insurances, being compliant, so many different things, um, you know, and actually having to hard sell. And that kind of was a lot of my grounding for when I wanted to start my own business. First sort of proper business was in Shisha. Um, Again, like when it comes to business, you have to have a passion for whatever you're doing if you want it to be long term. And that was the same for me with Shisha. I went out to Egypt, sort of fell in love with the culture, with the idea of because I don't drink myself. So something that equivalent to pub culture, you go out, you, you sit with friends around something and you communicate, you build relationships, you talk business, you talk all sorts of things. So I started doing that because there was a gap in the market because the smoking ban started working with some of these outside spaces. And at the time, the returns were great. We're talking that thousand percent sort of markup. So it was really good. Took that the little shisha business, turned it into a bigger business and a bigger business. Um, started doing like pop-ups at festivals, having like overnight shisha tents at some of the UK's largest festivals. And then got like a license on the premises um, and had like a shisha slash cocktail bar. And that's, so that's where the capital came to be able to start getting into property. Love that, Kazin. I think there's so much there that we can hopefully unpack in the in the episode. But I think what's really amazing to see is how this small uh, drive that you had just with a, with a paper round in your early years has really transformed and just grown exponentially into the career that you've developed now. So looking forward to unpack a lot more of that through the questions that we have. But with that, we have a lot of questions that we've gathered from our listeners and also within within the group. So maybe we can kick off with some of the questions and then we can unpack what you've shared so far. Maybe I'll kick off, Kazi. Um, it sounds like you've had a, a great um, entrepreneurial journey so far from Shisha to Phones For You and all of um, the good stuff in between. But from transitioning into full-time developing investing, how has that been for you? What have the challenges been? What have some things in the past maybe helped you be successful to date? And how do you think they keep you in good stead for the future? Yeah, I think like it's a question that I often get asked, which is, slightly differently phrased but how do you get into property and what are the starts and I think I think it's really important to play to your strengths so before I got into property um, like I graduated in economics and so because finance was an area that I understood when it comes to spreadsheets you know there was a lot I didn't understand from a te- technical aspect when it comes down to property um, but I understood the numbers and I understood what it meant like you know valuing the cost of finance looking at build costs looking at contingencies things like that so I had to you know, be able to tie what I currently had, so my existing skill set, and then marry that with the expertise from individuals that I would have to lean on. And it's one of these phrases in property and business you hear a lot of the time, which is like power team. And it does sort of sound very cliche, but the thing is, you can't do everything. You can't be a jack of all trades. If you try and spread yourself too thin, you'll create holes. So you have to put the right people in the right place and work out what you're good at. And when you know what you're not good at, find somebody that can you know do that on your behalf or you can employ to that on your behalf no um kazi it's really interesting because i remember if i you were on homes under the hammer right yeah yeah. in 2015 i think that was the first place that i actually saw you before i go into my question how was that experience because it's great that we've got the opportunity to interview you i know that's one of my goals and dreams to actually be on that show as well so I just, before I go into my question, just want to understand how did you find that whole experience? <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was cool. It was like, you know, it's just a case of, if you buy an auction, to be fair, if you want to go on Homes Under the Hammer, just buy a property from Savills and they'll probably yeah. ask you. Like, you know, as long as the property needs a bit of work and it looks a bit interesting. I think I've been asked a few times, but that was the one I did. 
And it was ironic at the time. I wasn't going to do it. Like the same, I'd been asked a few times before. But then my business partner at the time um, was like, that you should do it. You know, it's going to be helpful. It's good for optics, etc." So I said, okay, we'll run with it. And it was, it was nice. It was good to see, you know, again, representation. You got Dion Dublin, shout out Dion Dublin. It was hosting at the time. Um, he was nice. You know, spoke us through it, helped us with, you know, just making sure that it worked and, and looked good. But I think a lot of the time, you know, in hindsight, it's a lot of credibility because it's, you know, effectively you can say, you know, as seen on BBC, I was part of this and people actually can see something where they see the before and afters mm. that it wasn't up to you. You didn't like curate that show. So if the numbers were rubbish, when the agents came in at the end, they would say that. So I guess it does provide an element of credibility, which is good. And yeah, just, it sort of just creates a bit of a track record. And is, so you had a business partner, but if we even go further back, why did you decide to go into property? So just mm-hmm. a plug, we did an episode, I think it was episode 77, where we had a debate about different investment tools, either property or stocks. You decided to go down property. Mm-hmm. So why property um, after all your previous businesses or experiences? And then obviously property is very large industry. There's so mm-hmm. many different areas that you could play within property. So can you also then break down what you specifically do in property and why you went down that route? Yeah. Um, so in terms of why property, I think, you know, I was at sort of a crossroads where I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I had worked in finance for a little amount of time. It, I knew it wasn't really for me. I'd run businesses. But again, the shisha business, I, I, for, for a number of reasons, I fell out of love with a little bit um, and was looking for something to do. And number one, like, you know, property is tangible. For people that don't necessarily understand different asset classes, the idea of being able to go see, touch something, you know, know that there's a requirement for it because it's, you know, basic need that we need shelter in terms of our just natural need. It's, I think it's a lot safer for a lot of people. And I spoke earlier about almost understanding what you like. And for me, that probably has a relatively low risk tolerance. Um, it made more sense for me because, if you compare that asset class to other asset classes, generally speaking, it's been less volatile when you look at it, you know, more outwardly in terms of the rises. And it's just because we have a, a finite amount of land. Like when we're in somewhere like the UK, there's a limited amount of land. We've got an ever increasing population that just basic su- supply and demand will dictate that, you know, prices will go up. Yeah. Um, which means as an investment vehicle for somebody who's quite risk adverse, it's naturally more attractive. Um, in terms of what I do in property, there's there's not a lot that I haven't done or tried. So <laughs> I've sort of done new builds, conversions, so that's uh, uh, ground up, office to residential, loft space, HMOs, like luxury sort of million pound homes, um, option agreements, sort of JVs, a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. rent to rent tried serviced accommodation for like a whole day before I said, I'm not really <laughs> um, yes, I've tried, tried a little bit of everything. And, and to be honest, I've got my niches. Like, so I think my, my main thing is that I'm good at finding a deal. I'm good at being able to see the potential in something that other people have missed, go away, do due diligence, come back and package a deal and make it work and make it make sense, which is why I've been able to smash some ROIs when it comes to return on investments, do some really good numbers over the, over the last few years. Um, at the moment, my strategy is conversions, like so small scale conversions, anywhere from sort of four to nine units staying under um, Section 106 agreements, which is like the affordable housing element, which means you keep it all private and can sort of maximize um, your sort of the GDV of the project, per se. Um, and then just also my bread and butter is, you know, has been, it's, it's not as easy now, but was typical auction flips. Um, so just flipping, literally flipping maybe one bedroom flats, converting them into two bedroom flats with license to alter agreements. I operate predominantly in Southeast London or, or South London, um, but operating almost entirely in London means that, you know, prices are high. But the good thing about that is it then means your ceiling prices for the, the road are a lot higher. So you can spend money and your pound for pound return is often a lot higher than if you're outside of London. There's a lot of areas, you know, in outside of London that where land has a zero development value because the cost of the build is now too high. So you could have a great property 
I don't want to say an area because anytime I name an area, people come to <laughs> <laughs> area here. But like say you name a specific area and it's a house that's got a great side garage, double side garage, and you could go and get planning for that to build a second two-bedroom, three-bedroom house on the side. But because of the build cost versus the end values, sometimes that land has basically a nil value, even with planning permission. Yeah, that's actually one of the questions I had for you, your, your thoughts around staying in London versus going up north, which is what which is what a lot of investors, even like myself, look to do. So thanks for those insights. Um, so one of the things um, we really want to understand, and you mentioned obviously your role as a developer, is to mm. look to add value into the projects. Yeah. Can you maybe share a little bit more as to what are your, what are you looking for? What's your criteria? What are you actually paying attention to? Obviously not to give away all your, all your gems and insights, but... But, you know, when you talk about adding value, what is it you're yeah. paying attention to? Firstly, I don't think if you can give away all your gems and it's going to stop you making money, then you're probably not good enough at what you do because there's enough Next. property no. out there. There's enough money. Like, when you start to understand money, you understand that there's so much money out there. Mm-hmm. You just got to go and get it. Like, and you've got to go and find a way to go and get it. And it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but there's nothing that anybody can do that can stop you making the money that you're going to make. That, so that whole, uh, I don't want to say this because of X, Y, Z, and I don't want to tell people my patch. Do you know how big your patch is, how much business there is to do? Yeah, yeah, abundance mindset, love it. So, but yeah, so in terms of what I'm focusing on at the moment, like I said, my bread and butter for a long time was literally areas where you can add an additional bedroom. So typically I'd be looking at properties that firstly were already in a rundown state. So regardless, you're going to have to refurbish them. There's no point going to look at like a finished product and take out a brand new kitchen, brand new bathroom to change the layout. But so something already needs work. But away from it needing work, typically these one bedroom flats um, that were above, you know, 50, 60 square meters. So good size one bedroom flats that you could reconfigure to make them a two bedroom flat. Because a lot of the time you could do that, um, you know, with just a licensed alter agreement with the freeholder, maybe some building control, depending on what you're moving and where. We're not full planning. And now in London, adding that additional bedroom, when we're looking at, for example, and I say take Croydon, for example, the ceiling price maybe for the on a certain road for a one bed might be 350,000. But for the two bed, it might be uh, 425,000. So that extra 75,000 pounds, if you can achieve that with the same amount of work, when you go and look at that deal day one, you can offer more. So you may pay more than somebody, but it's because it's worth more to you and it's going to be worth more when you go to dispose of it. And it's always a case of working backwards because in a market like this, it's really hard to find a deal and a lot of people are struggling to find deals, right? When you're working it backwards, if your GDV is 425,000, by the time you take out your maybe 30,000 bill costs, by the time you take out your stamp duty, your cost of finance, your purchase costs, your sale costs and your other associated costs, and then you take out the profit margin you want to make because your GDV is that much higher. You could potentially offer still that much more and still secure a deal. And yeah. the fact that you've now you're finding more deals because you're able to find the value means that your money's working harder for you because it's great if you do you know a deal when you make fifty thousand pounds. But if you make that over twelve months and I make it twice over twelve months or I make it in six months, my annualized ROI is still better. So I could potentially even do a deal with a lower margin because I know that I'm going to get in and out quicker and I know that I'm not going to have my funds sitting down, not making any money. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that's one side of things. The other side of things is as much as I've said, and I, I'm, I'm a sort of a walking hypocrisy sometimes, like when it comes to contradictions, because as much as I said, like, oh, I've done everything. I also firmly believe in specialization. I think that's maybe the economics of me, like, you know, benefits of trade um, and specialization. But I firmly believe that if you focus on a specific niche, it's a lot easier to, you know, to use your time more efficiently. And I give you an example of me saying that I operate predominantly in Southeast London. If any of you right now say, okay, I've got a deal for you and it's in this postcode and this is the deal. Without going on right move, Zoopla, you know, if you give me the specifics, I could tell you whether or not I'm interested or whether or not it's worth me doing any due diligence. Got it, yeah. It all around, you know, and you're investing all over the place. Every time somebody sends you a deal, you've got to do an hour hour and a half of due diligence whereas i could maybe appraise 20 deals in half that time and say they're all rubbish and get going about my day whereas you may spend a whole day looking at stuff and it's so it's also you know time is finite resources are finite everything is finite and it's how you can best utilize 
what you have at your disposal to maximize what you can make from it. Mm. Yeah, no, great insights. Um, another question just also on, on this point is how have you sort of thought about strategy in terms of flipping and holding? You spoke a little bit earlier about, about sort of, you know, flipping from auction um, deals. What's your thinking there and how have you played that in your journey? So I did, it's funny you mentioned, it's like, so re- people always like sort of, a lot of serial property people kind of are of a never sell. <laughs> there's a few there's a few of them on this podcast as well (laughs) i've I've watched (laughs) i've watched a few you like you sacrificed your firstborn if you sell like you're a traitor you're judas you're everything like oh oh, there 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 i'm there let me give you my perspective and again this everybody's got their own way of doing things and there is no right or wrong answer firstly i would say there's no right or wrong answer it's only that if you do sell you're often told you're very wrong <laughs> but my perspective is it depends what you're trying to get out of property what you're doing what available funds you have what time you the amount of time you have because for me for example i would sell because so i just i did a deal this this year this year basically between this year and 2021 um so i bought a house in the streatham sw16 or not or the upper parts or the whole freehold but because of, again, due diligence, additional research, realized that it actually had established use and had been used as two flats for the better part of 30 years. So no planning was required, just building control, which meant I could go in, bought it for £520,000 with a bit of negotiation, um, sold each flat and basically sold each flat, sold the two flats for approximately 435000 each plus sold a portion of the garden to somebody else. So GDV ended up being £900,000, which means profits of circa 200000 that you're taking out of that. Now, somebody like yourself would have said, look, you know what? I can, I'm not going to flip this. I'm going to keep this because I've made such great profits that by the time I refinance that deal, I'm going to refinance it and basically I can pull almost all of my money out, yeah? And so I've got of my starting capital that I had to do the deal. I've maybe pulled out all of all of my money. And but in the deal, you've still got approximately 225,000 pounds. Even though it's not your money, it's capital that you could have if you sell, because that's what you'd have to keep as your equity on the buy-to-let mortgage of an LTV at 75%. Clear. Clear. So, and my rationale behind not keeping is, because I'm in this wealth creation mode where I want to make money as quickly as possible. Those two flats, say after all costs, after the cost of the mortgage, everything else, you know, your what if for voyage repairs, et cetera, are going to maybe make five or 600 pounds a month. For, for ease, just for quick maths, I'm just going to say 500 pounds a month each, that's a thousand pounds. So you're making 12,000 pounds a year, which means your net yield is less than, you know, in, in terms of the money you've got in, less is maybe than- 6%, something around that around that figure. That's what you're making. So if I sell, yes, I've got um, CGT to pay. However, I've now got an extra 100 and, call it 175, 180,000 pounds that you don't have. Now, if I've just done a deal where in a year I've made 200,000 pounds from 200,000 pounds, why should I settle for 12,000 pounds now? on the basis that I'm going to get capital appreciation because I know that I'm doing deals that make my money work harder for me. At a certain point in time, of course, I'll keep, I'll sit back, I'll benefit from the cash flow, I'll benefit from the capital appreciation. But at a point in time where I'm full-time in property and I'm willing to work hard, I would rather make my money work as hard for me as possible. Yeah, very clear. And and I think, because I, again, I think going back, you talk about this a lot, you're you're very much focused on that working capital because you're effectively moving funds into another project, another deal. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And that's the thing, I get it. Like, if you're going to have your money sitting down, then you need to make it as efficient as possible. There's no point selling when you can refinance, but that refinance always does come at a cost. And it may not come out of a cost of your capital, but it does come at a cost of your working capital. Opportunity cost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Money in the deal. And, you know... I think because the other thing is because I know that I'm risk adverse, I'm not going to go and do a massive deal until I've got, you know, available funds there that for what if that I'm not going to sort of be 
on the edge of bankruptcy for the whole deal if something should go wrong. So I think, you know, I've got, you know, a mindset of where I want to get to and the type of deals that I want to be doing within the next sort of five years. Um, so I just know what I need to do to achieve it. And I think that's the other good thing about having goals. Mm. Goals, uh, goals allow you to have, you know, you know, and then the end goal basically means it's like running a race. You know that you're trying to complete 5K. So if, if you've got, you know, your, your metaphorical AirPods in and every time it's telling you you've done another 100 meters, another 500 meters, you've done a kilometer now, you know where you're getting to. You, you can kind of keep yourself on track. You can pace yourself and you're working towards something. So I think for me, the working capital or the amount of money that I have is the equivalent to those like numerical numbers when it comes to like running a race. And I know that I'm trying to get somewhere. And I need to stay on track and I need to keep like accruing that to allow me to get there to deliver what I want to at the end. Yeah, love it. No, great insights. Yeah, Shakazi, I think there's lots of great insights. And I think also for the listeners to remember, you're you're listening to 10 years plus of experience being really condensed down to fundamentals. And it's taken 10 years to be able to explain deals to this extent. So I think I hope that the listeners really appreciate the value that's being shared. And even if you're not in the real estate space, these are principles that you can apply in any business space as well. So I'd really try and take this away and think how they can be applied in your respective area if it's not, if it's not property. But uh, Kazi, building on some of the responses that you shared there, and some of the themes that were coming out, for example, abundance, setting a target, having a plan and working towards that. I think there are a lot of people that are looking like this group talking about investing. We see it a lot more now in social media than we did when we were growing up, I would say. But that gap in wealth inequality still appears. And we actually did an episode where we spoke about it. And I think that was a Bloomberg article that was based on a study where the Bangladeshi and black community were one of the lowest uh, wealth, uh, I think, property related wealth communities within the UK. I now, for, for only above the Bangladeshi community, I think, as I remember. <laughs> yeah, and I'm actually representing uh, the, the Bangladeshi community. So I think within this group, we're, okay, we're, so the, we're, we're the side that we're not. We've got all of the people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we are. But I'd say we're the, we're the anomalies that are closer, that are closer to, the, to the top and aspiring for one. Of course, hopefully a lot more people following behind us and exceeding even further. But the question for you, Kazi, in terms of this wealth inequality piece, if people were starting out now, prices are a lot higher now than they were even 10 years ago. And long term, based on some of the trends that you shared, they're probably going to go only in one direction. What would you recommend to people that were, were starting out now? If, if Property by Kazi was starting out in 2022 at the age of 20, what would you what would you say to him? I would say, you know, I think one thing you touched on, we, we've spoken about is I always say there's a balance of you have to work out what you've got because you know property is expensive i can't you you can't take away the fact that you do need capital as much as it's pitched that there's loads of no money down x y or z the majority of investors need need capital unless you're very fortunate have a backup but even in that case you've got to build something there needs to be some level of foundation and as a starting point you know i've touched on the experience i got from work the money i made from work the stability the fact that I didn't have shocking credit because I understood the importance of paying my bills on time. Like things mm. working in a phone shop showed me when I'm seeing big grown families coming in and the man, the woman, whoever is getting declined and can't get a phone, like that's instilled something in me that, wow, you've got to pay your bills. Mm. So like there's a lot of stuff at an earlier age that I say, look, you know what? The importance of firstly managing your credit like as a starting point for a lot of people. Like one of the biggest fears, you know, you overhear somebody saying, ah, Oh, and I eat our teeth, so I'm not paying them. Okay. I hear you, but at the same time, that 40 pounds that you're arguing about mm. can cost you because I've been in a scenario where, you know, I've had an EDF bill that I, I didn't know it wasn't registered to my, you know, my office address. It went somewhere else. I didn't pay it. It was like 38 pounds. Didn't pay it. Didn't realize there was non-payment. It wasn't, it was their fault. It wasn't in their name, but they put like a non-payment on my, on my account. I went to get a mortgage because of that being on the account. The mortgage product that I would have took was like an extra three, 400 pounds a month. That's a five-year product. That 38 pounds could have cost me five figures over a term just because of not, looking into things so that's a very extreme example it was sorted out in the end but i would say number one like manage your money like from day one see the importance of because your credit history is like it's the same as your credit your personal credit history is very much like is synonymous to your 
like online credit history, how you're viewed amongst people that you're working with also manage that. So if you say you're going to do things, have integrity in the way that you run your business, because even when you're starting out, your word meaning a lot to people will go a long way. There's deals that I've done off the back of a handshake because of integrity, because of conversations that I didn't even remember that other people remembered. Mm. I think that's really important as well. Um, making it more specifically about property, you know, there's there's a few things, but definitely I get, well, before I get right into property, you know, working and, and homing your skill set, letting somebody else pay you to learn is, you know, is a great opportunity. So if you really want to get into property, one of the best places to start off with is in this, is an estate agents. You get to see other people doing deals, see the market, learn about valuations, learn about developers that do things well, that do them badly. You get to network with developers, with landlords. So there's so many things that you can learn and pick up on while getting paid and not just while getting paid a little bit. There's a lot of estate agents that do really well and make five figures a month. Mm. That, you know, I can attest to them. They, they are smashing it. So there's a lot of things that you can do to start off. Um, I would always say residential mortgage day one, like as soon as possible. A lot of people don't want to sacrifice a little bit of short-term comfort for, you know, long-term enjoyment. So maybe you can't afford exactly where you want to live, but that's okay because like, for example, when we, I have to talk about London because that's the area that I know, but in London, you know, it's super expensive, but you'd be much better off buying that studio flat in London a lot of the time above maybe, you know, a news agent. So it's not ideally where you want to be, but buying a two bedroom flat way out because your difference of appreciation is going to be way more. Also buying earlier. So maybe not saying, oh, I want to wait till I can get a house with a garden, but buy the one bed, buy the two bed, buy what's in your budget. Because yes, you know, I'm not saying every time is the right time to buy, but generally speaking, now is always better than tomorrow because over the long term, and if it's a long term investment, prices will go up. Also using your capital, you know, your residential mortgage is going to be your lowest deposit. A lot of the time, because you live there, you're going to make it even nicer than a lot of other people would make their own homes. So when you go to sell, you're going to get a better uplift in value and you're going to get to enjoy it at the same time. And you benefit from no CGT as well. So it is a real winner in terms of your return on investment, but like, you know, early on investment in property. Love that, Kazi. And I think uh, for the listeners, because you have listeners from a wide range of age, ages and different levels of experience, the advice that you just had there could literally save you tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands over a lifetime. So really make sure if you didn't catch all of that, to rewind back and listen, because there is a lot of value that can be super applicable almost uh, straight away. But I think, all, um, Kazi, you started to talk about the, the market and where it is. I think uh, that probably transitions us to the next question from Olu. Okay. Yeah. No, I think, Kazi, you mentioned that um, now is in most cases now is always the best time to buy uh, but the markets right now are crazy right we're seeing high demand um scarcity um in terms of um, the amount of properties out there and we're seeing increased interest rates and we expect to see that grow in the future what's your views on property purchasing properties right now in terms of the return um and you could talk about it from your side where it's like development flipping and some of the folks who like to hold for long term. Uh, what are some of your impressions? I've held a few, but we try. But my other, but just random before we get into that, okay. my other thing with holding this, a lot of people hold with too much emotional attachment. Because even if I want to hold, I may have sold that place that I said in Streatham to go and buy a commercial property that yields twice as well with potential for planning in the future. So you can find something that does tip more than one box. And I think a lot of the time we're so hung up on, I'm not paying the CGT, I'm not paying the tax, that maybe we don't maximize our efficiency for ease. But at a point in time where, you know, we worked hard to get that money. So we've got to make it work as hard for us. For sure. I just, just want to quickly add, because Olu likes to twist <laughs> his context. I think, no, no, because what I will say is universally, we definitely agree as investors that when we talk about holding, it's holding because we're not going to sell to then buy a liability. If we're going to sell an asset, it'll be to in, it'll be to use the funds for another asset. So I think I think we're definitely in alignment in terms of so why the mentality agree. around around holding. Um, but what Kazi's talking about is his view on terms of moving that funds forward. Mm -hmm. no, so I totally um, agree. Yeah. Okay. But Kaz, what what's your impression market. about the market? Is it going to crash? What? Yeah. Hello, what's your <laughs> 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 we got time. We got time. Go we ahead. got time. We got time. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
because I'm, I'm, I'm an R between it and I, I hope it doesn't sound like I sit on the fence, but I think there's a lot of, my, my point is that, you know, at the moment, we're seeing extraordinary levels of inflation, like real inflation levels of 9%. They're talking about them potentially reaching as high as 11%. Um, you know, there's there's definitely an argument that if it wasn't for quantitative easing, different, you know, monetary and fiscal policy, that we would actually in be in a real-time, you know, recession at the moment if it wasn't for the government policy. Um, we have had massive, massive global issues, whether that be... Um, you know, conflict in Europe of a large scale for the first time in decades. COVID, the first sort of global health crisis in sort of 70 years. Um, and, you know, that coupled with a, a lot of other political instability, I think, creates, you know, a, a melting pot of problems, particularly when you add that to the UK specific problems like Brexit as well and leaving, you know, a, a larger union to become independent and have less, you know, less, basically less clout when it comes to trade and resources. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of UK property, there, there's been some direct impacts. So we've seen because of Brexit, there's a lot of labour shortages. I'm not sure how active you guys are in, you know, developments, but trying to source a good build team at the moment, if you haven't got an established relationship, is like nigh on impossible. Um, material prices, we've seen monthly increases of 10, 20% when we look at, you know, your key core elements, steel, timber, glass going up exponentially. And, you know, it's a lot of the times now, it's almost like going into a luxury restaurant where they're just like, look, we charge per the gram, it's by the day, we'll let you know when you get to the tills what you're going to pay for your materials today. Um, so there's a lot of factors that meant building has got more expensive, you know, that coupled with there being no current um, new deal when it comes to help to buy as well, which was another thing that was helping a lot of developers when it comes to their GDVs and being able to sort of guarantee exits from projects. Um, what does that mean as a whole for the UK property market? On, on the good side, interest rates being you know low at an all-time low means that a lot of larger institutions have gone into build-to-rent developments um, and they are completing these. So hopefully there should be more, um, you know, more stock on the market when it comes to rentals, but they're completing them to an amazingly high, high standard, which means prices are going up from a rental perspective. Even if stock is coming on slowly, it's still really high. So when from a rental perspective, I think they said there's 80% less stock on the market than there was this time last year, which means from a, you know, so from a demand, there's, there's, there's still rental prices are remaining high. So although there has been a lot of bashing of the landlords, you know, when it comes to the recent um, white paper report to to sort of reform the uh, private, you know, housing market, mm. there's there's still a lot of pressure. We've still under-delivered year on year when it comes to creating housing. We're still, uh, like, you know, London and, you know, your, your Londons of the North, and the Midlands, so your Birmingham's, your Liverpool's, your Manchester's are still having, you know, increasing populations, increasing demand for property in the area. So, yes, I think all of the collective factors are eventually going to take their toll. And we are going to see a, a, a contraction of the housing market when it comes to pricing. Um, but I think if you're buying in the right areas, like particularly getting your London's, that you are going to be insulated from that slightly just because of demand and supply and it's going to recalibrate mm. over time. Um, you know, advice I'd have for people would be buy smart, make sure that you put more contingencies, more what ifs into your purchase, do a little bit more stress testing when it comes to your deals. If you're working with an investor, make sure that that investor's on board for a different exit strategy, maybe exiting onto a buy-to-let mortgage and holding for a longer period of time. For those that are looking to hold for the long term, as much as we may see bits of this and this and this in the property market, when you zoom out and look at it on a, you know, on a grander scale, you see this. So if you're in there for the long term, I don't think you've got too much to worry about. I think it's just a case of if you are buying something to flip, you have to be a lot more careful. If you have capital now, maybe you'll be in a good position to be cash rich at the point in which there is a turn in the market, because mm. I do think it's going to happen. There are going to be people that, you know, as rates continue to increase over the next two years, 
that you know potentially start to struggle with certain buy-to-let properties and start to want to dispose of them. There are going to be you know different factors that mean more properties do come to market. Um, but there's 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 a very real trade-off of with inflation being so high. At what point in time does you waiting for a year with inflation at 10% with cash in your bank mean that if inflation's at 11% and property prices fall by 6%, who's the real loser? Because, mm. and it's that kind of trade-off. And there's so many different things to consider that I think it's very hard to get us to think that this is the right answer. Also with the political climate, the way it is, nobody's going to come in and spout bad news. So everybody's going to be positive politics for the next 12 to 18 months. So I think that's also going to be a buffer that even if there should be a recession now, it's potentially going to delay it and delay it and delay it. So for me, I'm still buying. I, I'm exchanged on somewhere today if my solicitors have emailed me back. Um, Congratulations. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I was kind of, like I said, I don't really have a conclusion. No, I think <laughs> pieces of information. Uh, I, would still, I would say buy, but buy with caution. Mm. Don't buy because you know you feel like you have to buy. But yeah. buy with caution, do your due diligence. But, you know, particularly if you're buying with somewhere that you think there's going to be long-term demand and it's a good, a strong area, you know, I'm, I'm still buying personally. No, yeah. I think, Kazi, that was really good explanation because I think you first really covered the different complexity in the market from the social element, economical element, um, everything that's going on globally um, with, like you mentioned, the war, wars, um, and cost of living just going up and cost mm. for uh, manufacturing go, going up. So there's so many different elements where you can see the price going definitely mm -hmm. up over a long period of time. But like you mentioned, which is really the important thing is with inflation, your money, the cash that you mm -hmm. have is going down in value. So if you can afford to buy right now, it makes sense to do it. But like you mentioned, still be smart. Don't overpay for a deal. Make sure that you got your fundamentals and your calculations done correctly. Yep. And you have multiple exits, like you mentioned. So, no, thank you very much. Love that. And I was thinking, actually, when you were saying that, Kazi, we should actually have you back on the, the podcast in two years and re replay that prediction and see how it, how it ends up playing out. I think in that prediction, <laughs> like in two years, there may be some fires. Like There may be some fires <laughs> like, in, in two years. Personally, I think, you know, I may be an optimist, but I think it's going to be okay for a, a reasonable amount of time just because unless something happens that we have no control over, i.e. some sort of massive collapse or issue in, in America, you know, something like, you know, when they spoke about, you know, Bay, there was sort of the market suffered a bit yesterday because Beijing spoke about going back into lockdown. If mm. if China or any of the main manufacturing places like India, China, etc., you know, struggle in the way they have with the pandemic, um, we, we're kind of we're still on a really backwards, limited supply chains. I think mm. those could cause could cause issues and could cause us to maybe go into a recession or contraction of the market a little earlier. Um, but I think you know. Uh, so some of the deals, like I mentioned, like the deal, um, the, the deal that I'm uh, hopefully exchanged on today is a good deal, you know, as, as deals go. It's not, it's not amazing. It's good, but it's, it's still, it, it, it's in, it should be in and out relatively quickly. I'm hoping under nine months. Um, and without annualizing it, the, the ROI is still 35%. So even if property prices dipped, you know, 10%, we'd still make a little bit of money, not a lot, but we'd make, you know, we'd make, we'd make a little bit of money, which means it's not a loss because if we left that money in the bank, we would definitely lose money. So it's, what do you want to do? Do you want to hundred percent lose money or do you want to, you want to play the markets a little bit? So maybe, uh, Kazi, to, to, to build on that, because I think this is a projection kind of short to midterm. And just a question, because you've alluded to it a couple of times in the conversation today about the future plans, future target, uh, you don't need to share anything that you don't want to, but I'm very curious to know if you're sat sat down in in ten years' time. At that point, what does good look like for you? Do you know, what? and I see sound it sounds it sounds it sound, it sounds corny. So you might have to get it, but like happiness <laughs> is what good looks like. Like all you yeah. just got to be is happy. Everything else yeah. is subjective. Like because you just got to be happy, and that's kind of that's my goal for the next mm. ten years to be happy. But if you were to talk. I don't have, you know, a number like I want a this many million portfolio at this, you know, because, because you could very, you know, not easily, but you could get to having, 
you know, 10 million, for example. But it's what does that look like? What does that look like for your standard of living? What does that mean? Is it at that point in time, is it the money that makes you happy or is it what you've been able to achieve and what you've been able to do with that? So I said, naturally, I'm quite risk adverse. Um, but I think there is, we often speak, you know, particularly in black culture about the narrative of young black men either want to be musicians or they want to be, you know, professional athletes. And we're amazing musicians and we're amazing professional athletes. And I think sometimes it takes away from, you know, our talents a little bit when we say, oh, we make it sound like a bad thing. It's not our fault that we dominate in those in a lot of those areas. Um, but at the same time, you know, we can do so much more and you can. Like I would be a rubbish musician and a mediocre athlete. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't give myself rubbish out. <laughs> I say that, and one thing that I want to do is bridge the gap between the athletes, between the musicians, and between the entrepreneurs, mm. and make it a collective of okay, if we're all shining, let's let's come and shine together, and let's do things together. I had a deal fell through that really annoyed me. I was supposed to buy this police station with um, a Premier League footballer, like we were going to buy it together. It would have been a great story to say, bought this, convert it into flats, but the deal fell through. But I think definitely at the point in time where I feel like I've leveled up enough, um, you know, I'm, I'm meeting people on an even kill and, you know, getting into larger scale development projects, bridging that gap. So shout out to like, my friend Elliot um, and Trevor, who run Most Wanted Elite FC football team. They've been smashing it, winning London youth clubs, 13s, 14s, 15s, winning all sorts of leagues, having players sign for um, professional teams, but I sponsor their team um, or, or a number of their teams and going to go on to start working with a lot of the children, so the boys and girls that play for those teams, because some of them are going to go and earn exponential amounts of money. And when I mm. mentioned an earlier age, we talk to them about finance, about budgeting, about investing. Pretty important. Some of them are also not going to make that money. And also for them to understand how to do exactly the same thing, because it's going to be just as important. So I think being able to get involved in programs like that, but also not just getting involved in a program of, oh, I'm just the teachers telling you how, how I would do it if I was you, but also to be walking the walk. So I would love to have done, you know, maybe... Again, that maybe at that point in time, done some whether it's between fifty to a hundred unit, you know, development um, units in sort of prime like London locations where we can say that we built these out, we own these, these are our ownership, build to rent with business partners where we own, own, you know, significant sites within within the London um, London real estate, London right. skyscrapers, um, and I think it's important because when I take it back to one of the earlier questions about why property like i've i've done some you know some things that for me it's meant a lot so for example two buildings one called khadija walk and one called khadija house um khadija was my late grandmother's name um that were named after her so the idea of being able to you know immortalize relatives that were loved by the family and it's that maybe didn't actually came to london but not that often but was still immortalized within London is something, you know, that's great. Those buildings are going to be standing for another hundred to hundreds of years. So I think, you know, when people talk about legacy, that's part of like my legacy, her legacy and the family legacy as well. Kazi, I love that. I love that answer because I think, um, especially in this day and age of social media and people seeing the highlights rather than seeing the work and the purpose behind it. I think what you shared there really shows how when you get to a particular stage or even if you're aspiring for a particular stage, the value and enjoyment actually comes from helping others. And I think that has really come through in your in your answer the way you've you've done it so thanks a lot for for sharing that thank you no, thank you thank you because you sharing that and yeah sure you touched on some points that i was just gonna you know um uh, regurgitate but Kazi, to your to your answer to shaw's question just now about the next 10 years looking back and mm. being happy would you then say you're not happy now um i think happiness can't like it's 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 like you know certain things like social media i have like a love a love hate relationship with um i think I definitely have a a fear of not being great. So I think because it's very easy to when you're on your journey, not appreciate how far you've come. Mm -hmm. And always, you know, I use the adage, I remember being out in um, LA and doing like Runyon, the, the canyon that you sort of climb. Yeah. Up yeah, yeah. 
from starting out, it just sort of starts, it looks like you're in a park and then you're walking and you're walking and you're getting further and further. And then you're looking up and you're thinking, oh, this is long. It's early. You're supposed to go early to see the view. (laughs) You're tired, maybe been out. But then, and I think it's, you look back, you're taking that second to like stop, sort of going to smell the, smell the metaphorical roses, look back and you see that I've come a long way. And I think those are the moments where, you know, you grasp the happiness. But for somebody that has big goals and, you know, I think also kind of has to have um, broad shoulders when it comes to friends and family. There's a lot of responsibility. That means I remember when like, um, Stormzy's last album come out and it was, I don't know if you don't remember the song Crown. Someone's mm-hmm. got to sing it. Yeah, it's heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know why you can sing it. That's a little, a little. Sometimes you have these moments where I had that on repeat. Like I was just, like I played it like for like two hours. I was like, yeah, I felt this one. Um, but I think, yeah, happiness comes and goes, but it's just all about working towards it. It's it's part of the journey as well as the destination. Yeah, de- definitely. Part of the journey is to be enjoyed, definitely. Um, my final question to you, Kazi, is what's, one, what's the one thing, and I think you touched upon it uh, a few moments ago, but I don't want to assume that's your your response. But what's the one thing in, say, property development or property investing that you're looking forward to the most? Um, I definitely say you know changing the the perception of what a property developer looks like. So mm. being able to work with you know the younger generation, being able to normalize conversations around ownership within black and ethnic minorities. You know, I said, like I said, sometimes I have these, oh, I'm gonna turn off Instagram, like this is, let me just go and be a property developer. But then mm. I was in uh, Pop in Brixton, like, you know, which is sort of my, my local effectively last weekend. And it was just, I was having those feelings during the day and then randomly three people came up to me and literally the same thing. Oh, I bought my first house because of you. I, like, and literally the same three times. Very, very and, dope. Like, those moments there recharge you to say, okay, you're not always, let's go again. Let's, let's call the video. Yeah, 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 100%. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's, that's the thing. Like, you, you never realise who you're inspiring because there's always someone yeah. watching. Whether you're doing something good or something bad, there's always someone watching. So, you know, what I would say to you is keep it up because there are different people that are listening on this podcast, mm. people that you've never met or people that you would never meet that you're that's inspiring. So, you know, keep, keep all that good work. Yeah. And just on that, Kazi, I think I think there's probably 50 more people like those three that met you on the weekend that will say the exact same thing. That to Daniel's point, you're never going to hear from. Yeah. So it's just keeping that in mind. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's great, great to share. So then I think we, we're we're coming close to the the quick fire round, Kazi. But one one quick question on on my side, and I think we alluded to it in the beginning of the episode before we started recording. But if you weren't investing in real estate as you were, which type of uh, investment class or other areas would you uh, be investing in instead? Or what's the highest return that you're seeing in other interesting areas? I said. Um... My guys, you know me, I like, I, like to, I like to plug the boys. So my guys are too cozy, sorting me out with, with trainers, shoes, etc. Um, You know, it's one, one of the things that come with property, being able to spend a little bit every now and again. Um, so, yeah, I think I may be probably not full-time, but as, as a sort of part-time um, hobby, I like the idea of, you know, nice trainers. A lot of nice trainers are now becoming like, pieces you know pieces of art in, in that you know you buy the right pair the right piece and it's it you know appreciates in value over time um and you get to appreciate it as well the same way you would a nice painting because it's something that you really like so that's something that i like outside of that i'm not i'm not sure i think you have to find something that you have you know you have a passion for because mm. it's, it's it's it otherwise it gets tiring just in that trainer space Kazi, what's the best returns that you've seen recently? <laughs> so, um, pair of Louis Vuitton um, Air Force Ones, uh, sort of just over thousand pounds or just under two thousand pounds retail, um, and then now uh, fourteen thousand. I mean, that, I don't know if that's uh, a good returns. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm making I'm making a budget tonight. We're gonna to look at some trainers. <laughs> you know how it is. It's like the reality is trying to actually. It's it's a weird one though because it's very similar to like 
if you go and speak to watch collectors, particularly mm. those that have got great relationships with Audemars or Rolex, etc., they will go and be able to buy a pro- buy a piece at retail, and then say, "I bought this watch for thirty eight thousand, and now it's worth one hundred eighty thousand. But the re- the money didn't come from them being some kind of genius or watch expert. The money just came from relationships of them being able to buy something at retail. Yeah. Um, so it is a bit of it's it's a little bit of a red herring, but. Again, it's you can do it with you know just your night your night trainers that are coming out. It works with you know with the Yeezys, and it's just a case of sometimes you have to be willing to queue up. Sometimes you have to be willing to enter a few competitions, or you know speak to the right people, build the right relationships. But definitely, you know it's, it's all it's all possible. P, you can't just buy Air Force Ones and think they're gonna think <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get those returns. Just FYI, I'm gonna do my research. I'll do my research. I'll make sure I'm I mean, maybe I was thinking. I was thinking when Kazi was explaining that we can do another episode: properties versus stocks versus trainers as a future episode. If those um, returns continue to compound, listen. To be honest with you, like you said, the market at the moment, everything's in the bin. Watches are in the bin. Crypto's in the bin. <laughs> you know, even trainers. To be fair, like apart from certain ones like the Yeezys and stuff like that, are in the bin. I'm not sure how stocks are faring, but a lot of those have been a little bit, you know, sporadic to say the least. Mm. I think it's in it's times like this, you buy gold or you bought gold if, if you knew early enough. <laughs> so Kazi, now that we've come to the end of the episode, we're about to hit the final five questions where we'll ask these on a quick fire round basis. And then you let us know the first thing that comes to your mind. Ready to go? Let's go. Perfect. So first question, what is the worst piece of advice that you've ever received? Uh, no new friends. Mm. You need some new friends. Like, don't <laughs> throw away old friends, but new friends are great if they're good people. <laughs> Love that. Uh, so so building on that, what's the, the best piece of advice you've received? Question number two. In property, you make your money when you buy, not when you sell. Best piece, live by it. It make it's because you can't add unlimited value. You make that money from making the right financial decision day one based on what you were planning to buy. There's always going to be a ceiling price, there's always going to be a maximum value. You can't magic money. You have to buy at the right price day one. Even more important in the market that we see today as well. Thanks, Hazy, for, for sharing. So question number three: a piece of content that you're loving at the moment. I don't consume that much content, you know. What what does what does this mean? What do I? What it could do you be mean? it could be a book, it could be digital media, a YouTube video, a documentary, even a movie that you watched recently. Anything that you're you're really uh, plugged into. I read *Sapiens* again recently. I really enjoyed. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Um, bit. It's not for everybody, but I I think it, it's it's an it's like as an economist, we like the book. It's a good kind of sort of understand just and somebody else's opinion on the way the world works or or their view on how it could work which i find you know really interesting i don't know if it's for everyone but i, I thought i think it's definitely a worthwhile read grant something outside of the real estate space so i think it is for, the, for those interested it's definitely one to check out question number four kezi something that you're curious to learn more about at the moment i need to stop losing money in crypto i'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> you can't I'm, gonna, I'm gonna defeat crypto won't beat me i will beat crypto i love that i think we, you know we've mentioned crypto a few times uh in this episode i think uh, i mean daniel is our resident crypto expert but i think we need to have a crypto focus episode guys just an idea for the stop, future cassie stop listening to those people that pop up in your dms that say oh buy the token buy the token no, no, <laughs> buy the dip no i bought the good stuff i'll tell you what i bought i bought the good stuff and all the good stuff is the bad stuff right now so don't be telling me <laughs> 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 Perfect, Kazi. So then the last question for the quick fire round, what does take flight mean to you? I think for me, obviously, it's, I like I like a saying. Like I've always liked, like, you know, you know, an old wives tale or a saying. I think, you know, it's the it's very much in the description. It's just a case of you having to propel yourself to somewhere that is not necessarily feasible to you right here and right now because you mm-hmm. can't see it you can't touch it you can't you don't know where your destination is but you have to believe that 
if you see yourself as the plane, as the embodiment of the flight, that you can get yourself to that destination that's very further, you know, that's a far reach away that, you know, isn't currently touchable, but you have the ability, your your body, your mindset, your capabilities can take you to where you want to go, that you've just got to literally take off and do it. And for me, that's what take flight means. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you, Kazi. So, Kazi, thank you on behalf of the team from all of us here and for all of our listeners. We thank you very much for sharing your gems, your your tips, your insights, your experiences with us. Spending the last um, hour with us has been, you know, a great pleasure of ours, and to have you on the podcast. And um, before you know, we close. Where can people find you on social media, whether it be YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, or Snapchat, or Twitter? Yeah. So let's let's go through them. So. The Instagram is property by Kazi, all one word, no spaces, K-A-Z-Y. The YouTube is the same. Uh, YouTube, we're going to be having two episodes coming out each and every week. So the podcast, as well as a luxury development tour. Um, So they're two really good places if you want to learn more about property. The TikTok will be coming very soon. We'll be doing all the great TikToks, the voiceovers, the walkarounds, the sort of behind. That will kind of be our BTS, behind the scenes content of what we're doing in the development space. Um, funnily enough, I don't understand how to use Twitter, but I joined it like last week. So if you like property and you like highlighting spelling mistakes, that will be great for you because I have a dyslexic developer. So it'll be loads of fun. Um, and then LinkedIn, Kazim Ali Balog, and you can find me there. Okay, great. Thanks, Kazi. We'll be sure to tag you um, on all those different platforms in the posts that we release next week. But once again, thank you. And for all, of our, for all of our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this great episode. Stay tuned for our next week's episode, episode 142. But in the meantime, if you have any feedback for us, you can find us on Instagram at Take5Podcast. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah. Fool, we never fly away.